2019, yes, you had 45 heads of state, but the dynamics then are different from the dynamics now. Even the presence of these heads of state was um, to demonstrate how independent they are, how sovereign they are. How sovereign are you if you have to listen, if you have to get permission to interact and relate with other countries? Your enemy should not be my enemy, you know. We are in a position where we can form our own partnership and build our own friendships. Russia does not have any sort of colonial legacy in Africa. If anything, it actually helped African countries attain independence. It supported them, it empowered them to get independence. So when you're looking at that, you're surely looking at a mutual partnership. At least we have tried out the other options and surely we don't seem to see a lot of success, right? Of course, I'll give you different reasons. But uh, the Russian option has not been tried out. Hello and welcome to the Africa Dialogues. I'm your host, Laura Chikonya, and here we explore the big stories and trends transforming the continent today, told by decision makers, thinkers, and doers. Today, I spoke to Brian Mugabe, member of the Ugandan delegation at the Russia-Africa Summit and lecturer at the Department of Theory and History of International Relations at Ruden University, as well as a PhD student. Brian and I spoke about the key takeaways at the Russia-Africa Summit, the expectations versus the reality of the event, a comparison of the 2019 and 2020-23 events, and sentiment amongst colleagues who came over from Africa. Here's our conversation. So, Ryan, welcome to the Africa Dialogues podcast. Thank you very much. Super pleased. I'm happy to be here and hold this conversation with you. Yes. So, uh, you and I recently saw one another at the Russia Africa Summit in St. Petersburg. And that event essentially is going to be the foundation of this conversation that we're having here today, this dialogue. Uh, this is the first ever episode of the Africa Dialogues that we are recording in person. Usually we do this online because it's one of the main goals, I think, of the format to have conversations with those who are physically in Africa, who are spearheading projects. But you are currently uh, located in Moscow. You are... Uh, on the final run of your PhD heroic uh, journey. And you and I saw one another at the event, and I think that's that's going to be the main topic of discussion today. Thank you very much for that, uh, you know, for taking us through that. I'm really pleased to be the first person to come, you know, for this um, conversation. I know that you've had others online, so I'm really pleased to be here. And uh, yes, the summit was really good from my own point of view. And I think that there are so many things that we shall discuss today. So thank you very much again. Yeah, perfect. So let's, let's. I don't want to waste any time. And let's get into probably the most talked about topic during the, during the summer, during the conference, the, the Economic and Humanitarian Forum. People were very emotional and had a lot of thoughts about the amount of heads of state who came to the event. So if we look at the 29th, this is the second Russia-Africa summit. So the first one was held in 2019 um, and 45 heads of state were there. This is the second summit. It was held four years later. It was supposed to take place last year, but it happened this year, which I think nonetheless is a great success considering the external environment that we're operating in. And there were 17 heads of state. Some people think that matters. Some people don't. What do you think? I think honestly it doesn't. Um, I think it doesn't really matter, especially in the numbers of heads of state. Uh, because in 2019, yes, you had 45 heads of state, but the dynamics then are different from the dynamics now, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, even the presence of these heads of state was um, to demonstrate, as uh, we've probably discussed, um, how independent they are, how sovereign they are. Um, so it's not because maybe they support Russia here, they, but they are willing to show how independent they are of, um, you know, other, from other, they are so independent from other, let's say the Western, um, the Western powers. And uh, they are coming here as a demonstration of that independence. And I think that was a very wonderful thing and it's something that we should take note of. And maybe the other thing is even those that did not come had delegations. Yeah, so for example, maybe maybe Rwanda was not here or maybe another country was not here, but they sent in a prime minister 
and other people. So I think that um, the aspect of numbers does not really count, especially when you have delegations that represented, because it means that either way this information was taken back and uh, that those who came uh, were actually here to demonstrate how independent they are. Because people have been talking about this whole thing of uh, um, how African countries are not really that independent. You still have a colonial legacy past, um, still, uh, still on that they are not able to make their independent decisions. But by coming to Russia, they really demonstrated that. I mean, forget about the pressure that they were receiving from, and some leaders pointed that out during the summit. So it's, 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 um, I think the whole aspect of numbers is not as significant for sure. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think it's a bit of an oversimplification. I wouldn't say that it doesn't mean anything. It, it means something. And I think that you can definitely pull out some insights and take that into consideration. But I wouldn't say that it's a definite uh, signal of how those countries want to continue to build relations with Russia, just taking into account the extreme pressure that many found themselves in. And I had conversations with African delegations, and I'm sure that you had even more, you know, you being on the African side, I'm kind of representing the Russian voice here. But I had conversations with Africans who said that, you know, we uh, found ourselves in the unfortunate situation where uh, getting on that plane would have repercussions and consequences and we're not ready for them right now. So I think that I agree that it's not as big a deal as some make it seem, although it does mean mean something, I guess. Well, it does. It means something to to, to some. Um, it, it, it obviously, we can't completely say that it means nothing. Yeah. Um, it means something because some were unable to come and they came you know, in 2019, maybe that's um, a sign to show um, how they've, how over time they've changed their perspective. Uh, but for those that came, I think that it was really a great demonstration of how independent they are from uh, um, these Western pressures and, 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 and other countries that were really putting them on pressure not to come and not to attend. Because coming here meant that some will... Uh, um, Issues of debt, for example, I mean, uh, it would mean that some, there will be aid cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, it would also mean that, uh, I mean, possible options of uh, ensuring that your opposition is funded and, uh, so. yeah, received properly in some of uh, the other countries. Mm -hmm. So it would mean that uh, you're unpopular now to the other, uh, let's say, maybe Western countries. But all the same, they understood this and they came. And I think for me that was important. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at that via through the prism of Russia's narrative on sovereignty, because that's one of the cornerstones of Russia's modern strategy in Africa. It's something that you would you'd find that in any speech of any representative of government bodies in Russia today, talking about how we want Africans to be able to make their own decisions. And I think it was this interesting juxtaposition of how, on the one hand, you have the Russia-Africa summit with Russia being very vocal about that that specific point that we want you to be able to make your own decisions. Um, and then, on the other hand, you have this unusual situation where African countries are not able to. So I think it kind of, perhaps in an uncomfortable for certain Western countries way, it might have propped up the point that Russia is trying to make, that unfortunately they may not be, um, they may not have that sovereignty that they deserve. Yeah, that's, I, I completely agree with you. I, 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 I also think that um, many um, countries by, for example, coming here, uh, were, were obviously able to demonstrate that uh, they were able to demonstrate sovereignty of their countries. Uh, because let's say, I mean, how sovereign are you if you have to listen, if you have to get permission to interact and relate with other countries? Definitely not. If it means that you can't even have mutual partnership with these other countries because um, they probably, they have to impose themselves over you and determine who you should relate with and who you shouldn't relate with. For our president has been, like the president of Uganda has uh, come out and uh, said, you know, this can't work. It doesn't mean my your enemy should not be my enemy, you know. We are in a position where we can form our own partnership and build our own friendships. And I think that uh, many other leaders, especially the 17 that came, uh, most of them hold that view. Yeah. They think that you can uh, decide who your friends should be, you can decide who your partners should be, with or without uh, pressure from outside. I agree. So let's now talk about those who arrived, those who were present. 
Um, and let's look at it in a way. Let's start off with the expectations and then the takeaways. What hopes do you think African countries, and you, let's talk about Uganda because you are Ugandan and I think you represent that view first and foremost. What were the expectations from the event? I think building partnerships in, uh, I, I should first of all tell you like some of the people that, like um, um, some of the people that are part of the Ugandan delegation. So you had the president, right? Uh, that is President Museveni. Um, as of course the head of delegation, you had the Minister of Defense, you had the Minister of Health, Minister of Foreign Affairs, um, and of course other like State Minister for Education, um, people like, um, and then these other technocrats from different ministries, um, of course the Secretary General of the ruling party. So you really see that there was very good representation from senior positions. Um, so when they came, it was uh, basically to build uh, to build partnership uh, in different fields that they think our country really needs. For example, our president emphasized the whole aspect of uh, maybe nuclear, having a nuclear um, um, nuclear plant at home, strictly for gener for energy. And I know that uh, on the part of Russia, they were talking about energy independence, right? So that was uh, a key aspect. And uh, he emphasized that um, in the whole aspect of agri the agriculture, for example, you needed a uh, partnership as well. For example, getting to Russia is one of the largest producers of you know, like very good fertilizers, getting to that. Um, partnerships in areas of education, like train more people. Because, you know, like that whole aspect of human capital development is very important, especially for developing countries. You have, um, uh, the economies are shifting, so you need skilled labor, but who skills your labor? So Russia is one of the countries that gives more, many scholarships to African countries. So that was another area of development. Then security partnership. For example, you know, you train personnel, but you're also able to uh, export your military equipment maybe at favorable prices, um, and also contribute to the, uh, the whole aspect of insecurity within the continent. And maybe with that I can like, give one example, right? Because my research is on, uh, is on Somalia. So you have a conflict that has been going on for you know, almost 30 years, uh, ever since, the, ever since uh, the former president, Saidi Bari, left power. Uh, so Somalia has not been stable, but the conflict has been on. I mean, forget about the entire international um, interventions. You have UN peacekeepers, you have European Union peacekeepers, you have you had the US um, um, troops on ground, right? You've had also AMISOM, like African Union. But even with their input, uh, yes, there's been some bit of security, but they, we can't say that it's completely stable. Al-Shabaab is still strong. So if you need new partners, to really help you find out a proper uh, security architecture to solve that issue. I think Russia is one of the countries to look up to because um, um, you know that the other countries have been involved except Russia. So having bringing Russia to, um, to, to get involved in such um, um, issues is very key. And I think that was one of the things, like building uh, proper security partnerships. So do you... Do you think that there's a perception that Russia might have an alternative solution in terms of security architecture that might be more efficient in cases where we see conflicts that have stretched out and that are not being resolved? I think so. I think that Russia does because uh, I'll give you, I mean, at least we have tried out the other options and surely we don't seem to see a lot of success, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, I'll give you different reasons. But uh, the Russian option has not been tried out. Maybe it's... Uh, like the Russian involvement to come in and, uh, and, 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 and assist in resolving the conflict, their agenda has not really been tried out. So maybe if they were brought on board, would have different dynamics in terms of uh, uh, shifting of conflict, right? But maybe the other thing that I would, it's important to, to, to point out is that uh, the Western approach, for example, to resolving conflict has been managing conflict, not necessarily solving conflict. So if, um, I don't think that, that Russia holds the same perspective that you should manage, ensure that it does not escalate to levels that you can't control or does not completely de-escalate to the point that there's no conflict anymore. 
um, I think that approach is what has sustained many conflicts mm -hmm. and uh, left these countries insecure. So probably Russia coming on board would uh, ensure that there's actually not just simply managing conflicts, but solving the conflicts. You brought up something interesting here, and I'm going to divert from the topic of security for a second, but let's get back to that. I think um, something that I don't really hear that often, and that I'm guessing is quite important, is that Russia offers Africa an alternative. And just listening to you now reinstilled this feeling that that alternative is perhaps even more important than I would I would believe. Um, so I think there's lots of talk about a zero-sum game. Is there space for Russia and Africa? This is a question that every great power or every country partner willing to work and interested in working with Africa will, will receive at some point or ask oneself, is there space for me? And I think that just because certain niches have been taken or certain projects are being realized it doesn't mean that they are effective and that that's the best option for africans so this alternative i guess is quite important that's very true i think that the alternative is actually very important uh important to the levels that are not it's not as important as it is it's actually stressed mm. you know yeah so i think that uh, it's sort of underplayed the aspect of having a proper alternative because um Let's say on the aspect of development, yeah. countries have been receiving foreign aid, right, for from maybe the time of independence. But I mean, they're still part of the low-developed countries. Of course, people will say that, no, it's because of maybe domestic affairs, maybe it's because of corruption and all that. But the truth is that there has not been any significant shift, mm -hmm. right? And yet they've been receiving this aid for a long time. Mm -hmm. So maybe seeking out a different alternative, especially in terms of development, would be important. But again, it's also important to look at the historical perspective. Like, let's look back and see what was, what has been the role of major powers, especially in Africa, before. And I think most presidents uh, highlighted that. Specifically, I would pick on ours, like President Museveni saying that uh, um, you do not have, Russia does not have any sort of, you can't trace uh, its colonial legacy in Africa. If anything, it actually helped African countries attain independence. It supported them, it empowered them to get independence. Uh, so when you're looking at that, you're surely looking at a mutual partnership. Mm -hmm. It's uh, in a way a zero-sum game. But if you're to look at what other countries have done, you know you still have um, this, you know, and unfortunately some of them still treat even the independent countries as though they are still, um, what, um, like, like, you know, um, as though they are still their colonies in a way, like they are not completely independent. So you need permission on who you should relate with. Uh, certain things, before you're going to make key decisions, you need approval and all that. But Russia says, you guys, we can cooperate with you. We don't need to interfere into your domestic affairs. You know how best to run your own affairs. We don't have to really interfere. Uh, for as long as we can uh, find points of agreement, we'll agree on that. And I think those alternatives are very important, mm -hmm. especially at the moment. Like, for example, uh, yeah. get permission to come to the Russia-Africa summit, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and yet Russia does not say, you know, uh, we understand there is a U.S.-Africa uh, summit, yeah. there is a Japan-Africa, uh, Japan, there is China, mm -hmm. uh, there is, let's say, Turkey. does not come in to say, or India, for example, say, no. Since we are working on a military partnership, we think it is not in our interest that you relate with that country. Mm -hmm. And yet vice versa, it is done, you know. Like people are coming here for two days, but you're so... I mean, you don't really want that to happen. I understand. And I think that if you're secure in your value proposition, then you do not need to try and control your partner. You, th you will allow them the space to... We live in a market economy, and I think that there's nothing wrong with some countries shopping around and finding the best solution for them, especially considering the history behind this. I think lots of African countries, they really have earned the right to finally be the ones who get to choose who they want to work with and on what conditions. So let them shop around, let them find the best option for them. And there's no need for this fear or restriction that, oh, if you went to the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, it means that we're not friends anymore under no circumstances. Again, I think partnership does not have to be one-sided. Yeah. I think um, you can cooperate with the West, but mm -hmm. still 
have effective cooperation with Russia. It doesn't have to be you can cooperate with Russia but still cooperate with the West depending on what your interests are. So I don't think it has to be extremely one-sided that this part is isolated and we're only working with this. I, I don't honestly get the rationale in that. So I just want to ask one more question before we get back to the, the expectations and then the takeaways from the event. You mentioned the Soviet legacy, and we talk about it a lot. I think there's no doubt that it's very important for those in power now. So we're looking at the older generation. What about the younger generation? Does it matter to them? The Soviet legacy? Yeah. Um, that's very interesting. I, <laughs> I think maybe most of them do, may not really know about that. Uh, maybe these are things that they get to learn through speeches and through reading of books and all that. But um, considering that I'm also part of that younger generation, <laughs> I think that it actually matters. Because that uh, it's, it's important to have perspective on things. Um, for example, I mean, like you should know that there's some history to it. Why are we cooperating with these and not those? Why are we basically focusing in these areas of partnership and not the other areas of partnership? So I think that it actually matters. I think that uh, the entire Soviet legacy matters because if you're saying, if for example I say that I'm, I come from Uganda, which is an independent country, I think it's important to know who helped me attain that independence. Because without knowing that, then uh, my re I will not understand who my real partners are, mm -hmm. people who really helped me to attain the independence and enjoy the sovereignty, if um, the sovereignty that... Uh, you know, many countries really would want to um, attain at higher levels. So perhaps it's not even about studying the history of Russia-Africa relations. It's about every youth, for example, or every person in an African country, as in Russia, knowing their national history. And then that will give you a good understanding of who, you know, who played which role in your history and where that brought you today. Exactly, exactly. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. uh, understanding that the history of your own country, you understand it and then you know how you can relate with other countries. Probably if, for example, I know that my country was uh, under colonial rule for all this time, I think it's only logical that you would deal, um, you would be a little suspicious when you're dealing uh, with the countries that uh, hold you under, um, um, th that, 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 that uh, you know, that were you, in a way, your colonial masters at the time. Because you understand that they didn't really have your own best interests at heart, but they had their own best interests at heart. So I think that would, um, in a way, really help to have that perspective, understand your national history and how you got where you are. Right, that makes sense. You can't expect a different result or a different outcome if you continue to do the same thing or continue to work with the same parties. Again, in no way trying to hint or persuade that African countries should or shouldn't work with whoever. I just think that it's something to, to take into account. But let's let's get back to uh, expectations. Was there anything else or is the main um, idea kind of building the partnership? I Yeah, I think one was building partnership in different areas. The whole, the other aspect is... Um, entire issue of sovereignty mm -hmm. it's actually key for african countries especially when you feel that they say you're independent but you do not see your independence like you cannot you don't have the liberty to make your own independent decisions let's say coming for us for a summit like you 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 when you decide to come you're under immense pressure mm -hmm. uh, so i think the whole aspect of sovereignty is key and many countries have realized that russia is in a way a guarantor of sovereignty to many developing countries. We don't want to interfere with your domestic affairs, but we can partner with you in other areas, and it can be mutual partnership. So that that as well. Uh, if I can interject for a second, uh, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that not to give too much credit to Russia, we're not the only partner of Africa that holds this view. I know that uh, the Turkey-Africa partnership puts a lot of emphasis on that, the China-Africa partner. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that it's just a Russian thing. I think that there are kind of these new emerging big powers who provide an alternative model of partnership or for partnership that give Africans this, uh, this, this sense of sovereignty and independence that they need. So I, I like the trend and I think that it's good that it's, as well, it's good that it's not just Russia. I think that you have big actors providing this. 
um, and it's it's important. Yeah. So now I think the next logical question, you know, as we work our way through this event is how do you think African leaders and Africans in general who were just present at the event felt, you know, on the 29th, the day after the summit? Does it seem like it was a success if we look at it through your eyes? Um, I think I would... Uh to generalize everything would be a bit tricky, right? Yeah. I'll basically look at, for example, maybe the Ugandan perspective, especially from my eyes, not the leader's eyes, because I, <laughs> I didn't have the chance to really be in those high-level forums. I mean, like, the meetings. But I think that uh, generally it was a success, right? In general, it was a success, because those who sought... Uh, you had the commitment of uh, the president telling them the aspect of debt relief, probably, I think, 90, and then they would also invest mm. in Africa, the, like the special uh, fund mm -hmm. uh, that would ensure African, um, that would uh, guarantee African countries some level of development. Mm. So the money that was given to African countries, I think that is not something that was expected, but it was offered, and I think that was a successful thing. And then the whole um, pledge by the president here that I think about six countries would receive grain supplies, Eritrea, uh, Burkina Faso, or I think Mali, Zimbabwe, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was also a success in its own. Then um, in terms of um, security partnerships, right, um, the, Russian, like, mm -hmm. the Russian government uh, showing openness to have, these, uh, uh, to have more security partnership with African countries, mm -hmm. especially in terms of training, but also supplying, I think that was a very key aspect as well. And then Russian companies cooperating with African small companies, I think that was another success in a way. Um, what's the other area? For our part, I know that the president emphasized the whole aspect of training also in terms of the education sector, like training students, having increasing the number of scholarships. And um, the president really didn't find, the, the president put in here did not find a problem with that. I think he agreed to it. And I think that was also, you know, another um, success as well. Maybe the other aspect was, um, which our president stressed, and he gave the example of coffee, right? Yeah. That um, you have had, um, um, like, more, let's say, uh, some Western countries buying our commodities in raw form, mm -hmm. take them to their places, like their countries, do bits of value addition and then sell it as a finished product. Mm -hmm. And that means that they are able to get more money in comparison to you and he mentioned figures. Uh, but uh, his pledge was that, his, his, uh, his request was that if, Af if, if Russia, for example, can come and set up uh, manufacturing plants and be able to do value addition mm -hmm. and so that we ensure that these uh, commodities are manufactured, they move out as finished products mm -hmm. from the country, then that would uh, boost our, 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 that would boost our economy. Mm -hmm. And um, I think to that level, there was some bit of, there was uh, success, I or especially on the part of the Uganda delegation. I think that that really, that such assurances and commitments um, came out as a big success, especially when it came to the expectations that people had come with. Some of the, the ideas that you mentioned now, I have heard them over the course of the past couple of months as we record different episodes of the Africa Dialogues and the, the element of additional value. I think that that's a huge topic, uh, essentially, of how African economies can get that extra boost. Um, so I think the, the coffee issue, I'm glad that it was brought up during the summit because it's something that I think it's on the minds of your, you know, African middle class, African experts, business owners, and politicians, I guess, that, you know, taking into consideration that it was mentioned. So let's hope Russian, uh, I know that we have a really strong coffee culture here in, in Russia. So let's, let's hope that um, our coffee experts, yeah, are able to get in touch with the right people in Uganda. Uh, I actually, I have gotten the right figures about what I was telling you, the issue of debt pattern, that Russia would allocate more than uh, 90 million US dollars mm -hmm. uh, for lowering debt burden of African uh, countries and uh, written off 
okay, what was written off was settling to 23 billion US dollars. I think that was very significant, especially for African countries that are in a debt trap. Yeah, which is another huge issue now for the continent, the the, the debt crisis. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a bit of a controversial question because I want this conversation to be as multidimensional as possible. You said that um, there was a pledge to to supply grain to a number of African countries. This is obviously happening on the backdrop of the issues with the grain deal. Um, I've heard the opinion that that's not enough because overall prices have risen as a result of Russia stepping out of the grain deal. What was the, I don't know if maybe you heard something, maybe you read something, what was the perspective? Um, is it kind of, is it viewed as these these free supplies of grain, is that enough? Or is it a kind of lame attempt to, or I wouldn't say lame, but maybe just uh, at least some kind of attempt to make up for the overall rise in prices, which will affect all African countries? Um, as to whether it's enough, uh, it perhaps it's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they are over, like the expectations are high, right? But uh, it is something, mm-hmm. right? I, I think for me that's the most important thing. If, for example, the f- uh, six countries, I don't know how uh, the six countries were labeled out, like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, yeah, why there was that specific choice of countries, mm-hmm. but maybe they're the ones who showed more need. That's I'm just thinking, I do not know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the fact that uh, that commitment was made, I think it is important. Otherwise, they are not obliged to make that that commitment. Mm-hmm. So I think it is uh, good enough. It may not be in accordance to everybody's expectations, but I think it's uh, it's it's it, um, and it may not be enough depending on where you come from and what you think. Uh, but at least it is something. It is an offer that was uh, given. I don't think that that was something that. Um, um, before the event, I don't think it is something that had been agreed upon between, you know, the African countries and the Russian delegation. That is what we shall do. So I think it was a good offer, in my view. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's easy to fall into this trap of extreme thinking. Is it the perfect solution? Probably not. Is it a solution? Yes. So I think that it's it's important to find compromises and temporary solutions instead of just, again, having this zero-sum game mentality where, you know, either it needs to be the perfect option or we shouldn't do anything at all. Yeah, I think that's uh, not constructive. Um, So let's continue along and let's remember the 2019 summit. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about how this summit compares to the 2019 event. I wrote a couple of articles, gave a couple of speeches, briefings um, about just the comparison between the two events. You mentioned scholarships. That was one of the key points that uh, when we tracked progress from the 2019 summit to the 2023 event stood out, we were definitely able to increase the amount of students coming over to Russia and study. Right. So that's definitely a good result. Um, but if we just look at the event itself, I know that you were present at the 2019 event. You actually met met the Mr. President. Um, can you share your view of how the two events compare in terms of productivity on the one hand and on the other hand in terms of sentiment? First, I think it's a, it's 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 um, in a way difficult to draw a comparison, right? Because the two events really happened in different times. Or given from 2019, a lot of things have changed, right? Um, not even focusing on the domestic affairs here, but there was COVID, right? Mm-hmm. It took over some time, so it means that even, for example, in terms of people coming to study here, it would have been tricky. People had to um, do online classes because travels were limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are many things that really came in and it's a bit unrealistic to really do a proper comparison. But in terms of productivity, like you say, um, I think that 2019, you had obviously more turn up, right? 45 uh, heads of state, 
um, and almost, I don't know, I think many other delegations that represented the heads of state. So like four representatives, exactly, exactly, four representation. But you had uh, commitments like scholarships. Um, you had um, many, um, like the start of trade between Africa and, uh, and Russia. So many companies getting into Africa. I can't, I, I can't quote with exact figures how many, like the percentage of African, of, of, bus, of Russian businesses that mm -hmm. went into Africa. But it's important to note that that was the first event. Mm -hmm. um, and considering, um, considering how many, considering the success of uh, things that happened for the first time, I think that was, that was for me, that was, uh, it was um, productive in the sense that you had high achievement especially in terms of expectations of African countries. Many people didn't know about Africa. First of all, there was bias also about Russia in many African countries. People thought you can only deal, um, you can only cooperate with Russia in the military sphere. Mm -hmm. But that coming, the 2019 visit opened up the country, opened up the mindset of different uh, and took away some of those biases. Mm -hmm. Like they were able to see that Russia actually has a lot to offer. And I think that's very important. So now when you bring it to um, this, the current summit, you see that at least the first event helped open up. So the biases were sort of reduced and all that. And that maybe something that I found very interesting is that many people came, many people were coming, depend because they watch news and all that. They thought maybe there was a lot of instability within the country and all that. So they were wondering how the summit would uh, hold and all that. But they come and see that things are actually internally, things are okay, everything is stable, the summit is going on. Um, so they don't really have to be worried about security dynamics. Um, and so I think for me, this summit is basically a follow-up of the commitments that were made in, in 2019. Um, it is like an extension, they are not starting up anything new. And maybe it's important to also highlight uh, the, the what? The attitude like the foreign policy concept, mm -hmm. before maybe Russia was not, um, in terms of Russia-Africa cooperation, maybe Africa was not of high priority then. But with the current summit, you see that Africa is actually at the top in terms of cooperation, in, th in terms of foreign policy concept and uh, the relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, um, in terms of productivity, I think that this one has been basically a follow-up of uh, what happened the other time. And I think that now, Russia more than ever sees the relevance of uh, having good cooperation and very close partnership with African countries. Mm -hmm. And I think that's significant. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, it's also interesting to look at the participation of smaller businesses, of NGOs. I think that this is something that if I look back at the 2019 event, it seemed that it was more of a high-level endeavor Whereas this time around, your average Russian is a lot more interested and already has some business plans. There were at the event, there were stands for different African countries uh, where, you know, anyone could just come up, ask questions, take brochures. And I was astounded by the cues to speak to representatives of different African countries. I thought that was a great uh, kind of representation of how smaller level Russian businesses are looking that direction, which they weren't in, in 2019, at least to the extent that they are now. So that was important. I think that the if we look at the event, we, we you had the um, festivals that were being held at the same time. So St. Petersburg was just turned into this big party city where you had concerts and events. I know that one of the big Russian uh, food critics, Sisoev, he actually launched a food festival in Russian restaurants where they were preparing local African dishes, which is completely unheard of. So I think that it definitely opened the doors. It brought Africa closer to Russia. And I think it brought Russia closer to many Africans who were here. And I think that in itself is really important because it opens the door for grassroots level initiatives. It's not like we all just have to sit around and wait for some um, order or a law or for something, you know, to fall down from the sky as a sign that we, we can start, 
dealing with Africa. So I think it's just breaking the glass in terms of Russians being like, oh, I can travel to Africa and I don't need to be afraid. It's not what the media paints it out to be. Um, and another idea that I was represented during the event many times that I heard repeated was that many Africans learn about Russia via third country media as do Russians learn about Africa. So the, the information that we receive has been processed, I would say, by someone else before it reaches us. And that was a huge function of the summit as well. I think for Russia to translate its hopes and its vision and its aspirations to Africans directly without any interference, without any third parties and vice versa. I think that's very important. I would actually give you another small ex another example. We had um, so there was a Uganda uh, Russia Expo mm -hmm. this year, um, just in May I think, yeah. and um, so you had um, like small scale businesses mm -hmm. come here to show off their products, and some of the people who came then actually applied to attend this summit. Like these were small businesses. I know one guy, one, one of the gentlemen that came um, was looking for partnership in the IT sector. Mm -hmm. And he came like small scale, not in any way, no affiliations to government. He's like on his own private sector. Mm -hmm. And he came here and he knew that there were opportunities. And he was, I interacted with him and he was like, no, I managed to meet some people who are interested in cooperation in the areas of IT and all that. But last time in 2019, it was basically like at governmental level, mm -hmm. high level. And um, I know that this time you also had different other stakeholders, like private businessmen yeah. who came for this specific summit, uh, mayors of certain uh, um, uh, towns in, 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 in Uganda, mm -hmm. uh, not only ministers, but like other, you know, other, 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 other um, not necessarily very high profile mm -hmm. people come. And then uh, the other thing was... Um, yeah, uh, about the, um, yeah, b besides the IT, yes, business, um, university, in terms of research, mm -hmm. yeah. we had a vice chancellor attend of the biggest university in Uganda. Mm -hmm. That was unlike before. So you see that the um, levels of cooperation are actually growing and becoming broader yeah. in comparison to the first summit, especially for the Ugandan uh, yeah, that's really, that's encouraging because um, one of the materials that I prepared in the run-up to the summit was just a comparison of uh, summit formats of other powers working with and in Africa. And something that I paid particular attention to were breakout groups. So working with different target groups, uh, media, youth, business, etc. And I think that hearing you say this now confirms that this this happened during the summit that you had these different groups interacting and I think it's important so it's not like we're all completely dependent on one structure or on high level decisions but it's that no we can actually be proactive too and we can reach out to one another and we can build businesses together we can do exchanges with students we can we can do a lot more than I think we were accustomed to believe before and even uh, in terms of uh, participation especially for young people like the youth uh, forum I'm sure we had more numbers of young people participate this time. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last time, most of them who came were basically like volunteers at the forum. But this time they came in as participants. Mm -hmm. And I think that was very encouraging. So, yeah, so I think that there's been, you know, like a very significant shift from the first summit to this, this one. Yeah. So this then brings me, I think, to the last chapter of our discussion about the future which I guess it's it's really hard to make long-term prognosis and any long-term prognosis in our, in our day and time just because of how dynamic change happens, right? But nonetheless, what would you like to see happen as a Ugandan within the next three years in the run-up to the next summit? I think for me, I would want to see that, first of all, the commitments that were made on both parties, right? You know, not just Russia, but even on our but mm -hmm. are uh, adhered to, like, they are strictly followed. Mm -hmm. It's very important to see that you have increase in the number of students. Um, you have um, establishment of the, for example, the nuclear plants, mm -hmm. let's say, in Uganda. Um, 
the whole aspect of trade you have more trade maybe you have um i don't know like special permanent commissions are established to ensure that uh um everything that was agreed upon is actually seen to um to fulfillment mm-hmm. i think that would be very important uh then the other aspect would be that yes you actually had ugandan media come here and they reported live you know like before you didn't have media coverage you like you said you're getting information from third parties but this time they were on ground so if you can have that direct um direct relation let's say our media is able to come and cover you know first party uh see everything from their own perspective and then cover it back home i think it will take away the existing biases especially in certain uh, sectors like you find that people are more open to cooperating and relating with russia without any sort of biases that normally comes from third party media uh, organizations yes so basically it's the fulfillment and realization of what has been agreed upon mm-hmm. yes and i think that goes both ways that goes both ways for sure yeah 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 so but you you see it's uh, more of uh, i feel like what normally brings upon these biases is especially when there's little interactions yeah. and communication you're giving room to bias i mean you're listening um you're listening about dynamics in russia not from the russians but from that but it's obviously that will not give you very good knowledge about how russia is or maybe about how africa is so if there is more engagement especially at high levels and also at lower levels mm-hmm. a private sector government that would take away almost all these biases and i think that's very important that you have more engagements and it's important that we've had first forum we had the second so over time i think there will be very proper relationship there, there will be a more constructive relationship between the two societies let's end the episode with a question that i ask all of my guests I usually ask what they think about and what they feel when they think of the future of Africa. But I think because we're focusing on Russia-Africa relations, let's talk about Russia-Africa, but also Uganda-Russia. What are your hopes? What do you feel? What do you think? What would you like to see? Um I think one I am like very optimistic because you know I came here in 2016. right the knowledge of uh ugandans about russia was very limited especially after you know the collapse of the soviet union mm-hmm. so there was uh that bias but i've seen that over time that is changing when i came for example in my university you had um, that is people's friendship university you had um maybe like six ugandan students now we are almost like 15 uh with our neighboring countries maybe like from Rwanda Tanzania Kenya you would have about four five students now they are in you know 20s 30s and i think so over time you see that there there has been growth for sure and i think i'm more optimi- i'm very optimistic about the future relationship between um Africa and uh, and Russia but specifically like for Uganda i see that um that um there is actually a very strong partnership like our president does not talk about um he does not talk about international affairs mm-hmm. without at least making reference to russia for example uganda's partnership with russia and of course he brings it in from a from a, a positive perspective mm-hmm. so i think that there is very good commitment in terms of ensuring that you have very constructive relationship between uganda and uh, and russia because i i mean i see um not only in terms of training but even in terms of trade you have many russian companies that are starting up in uganda mm-hmm. i've talked about their expos the uganda russia expo you've had so far too and you have small scale business uh, holders who come here and that was not um it that was not the case before so in a way you have yes like very um i am very optimistic about the relationship between uh the two and um even before it was only limited i think to uh, areas of security but now it has been broadened for sure yeah that's why i i i was uh, i was very happy to know that the vice chancellor of makere university was also here 
to build partnership with uh, uh, with uh, Russian universities, because normally the partnership between um, Uganda, especially Ugandan institutions of learning, has been tied to either Europe or the West, but very less with uh, Russia. So it's important that now we can see a partnership in all these in 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 all these areas. So I'm very optimistic for those specific reasons. That's great. That's great. I think um, we're on our way. We're in. We're knee deep in a long term process. And I also I share your optimism. I understand that there's a lot of work to be done. I'm excited to be part of that work. I know that you are too. And I think the main thing is just to keep on taking the steps, moving forward, learning, discovering. And I think that will definitely take us exactly where we feel that we need to be. So thank you for being on the podcast, Brian. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, And I'll probably end by inviting all the listeners to really go and visit Uganda because we are talking about cooperation and uh, you can't understand other societies only by listening and watching what others think about those societies. It's important to actually go and practically have a practical experience in such countries. And uh, uh, I know many Russians who have gone to Uganda and have loved the place. So this would be like an open invitation for people to go and uh, visit Uganda and maybe other African countries as well. Yeah, so that they really understand how these countries are. I think that's the perfect way to, to start cooperation. So I'll definitely be looking forward to getting on a flight somewhere in Africa soon. Great. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for listening to the Africa Dialogues. This episode was recorded under the Mgimo University Development Program Priority 2030. 